De la patrulla de Minos de California. Weather headlines for today, yes. Welcome to the Revenue Generator Podcast. And I hear everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear how industry leaders integrate sales, marketing, product, and customer success into a single business unit with a common goal of optimizing their revenue cycle. We'll unearth how innovators integrate data, technology, people, and processes to expedite demand generation and increase recurring revenue. Sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet a member of the revenue generation. Here's the host of the Revenue Generator podcast, the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. Welcome to the Revenue Generator podcast, where we members of the Revenue Generation share solutions for how you can integrate your business to optimize revenue. I'm your host and the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. And today we're welcoming back Kamala Thompson for the very first episode of our new monthly series that we're calling CMO Confidential. Feels like an old movie. In this series, Kamala and I will be revealing the topics that marketing leaders wrestle with without the marketing hype. For this week, Kamala and I will be talking about cross-functional alignment, when to pivot from an underperforming investment, and the balance between long and short-term growth. Kamala Thompson is the VP of Marketing at Caliber Mind, which is the leading B2B platform for revenue insights you can trust. Kamala is also the host of the Revenue Marketing Report podcast. So far this week, Kamala and I have talked about cross-functional alignment on basic data definitions, and when is it time to pivot from an underperforming asset. And today, we're going to wrap up our conversation by talking about balancing long and short-term growth when short-term growth concerns dominate. Okay, here's my conversation with Kamala Thompson, the VP of Marketing at Caliber Mine. Kamala, welcome back to CMO Confidential. I feel so much better. I feel like I've unburdened myself. I feel like the world is a lighter, happier place after our last two episodes. Thank you for for joining me on this journey. Thank you for having me. Okay, so here's my fun one. This was my topic. Kamala and I get together to talk about what we wanna talk about again. It's what's happening for us day to day. It's top of mind. It's the big stuff. It's the small stuff. And we talked a little bit about this yesterday, which was when do you pivot from an underperforming asset? They sort of hinted at this idea of things being really easy because you've got these short-term investments and you have lots of data. She isn't that easy to make decisions. But guess what? Quite often, and we talked about content as an example yesterday, Kamala, right? Quite often we're investing in things that have a longer tail that take more time to pay off. But guess what? Our boards, our investors, smart, experienced people who, by the way, have lots of other companies in their portfolio. So they're wiser than us. They see these trends. They're pushing us hard towards that short-term growth curve because they understand that short-term growth equals long-term investment. So we get it. But I made it a little bit too simple, I think, yesterday, Kamala. Wouldn't you agree when it comes to short versus long-term growth, we've got a different set of heuristics. Right. And we have separate interests. And it circles back to our first topic, which was that cross-functional alignment. Sales are so incentivized to focus on the immediate term. Us, not so much. I mean, we are because we get pressure from the board. However, we also understand that if we take off the gas on SEO or building content or repeatability, it just just falls off the train. So listening to salespeople beg for more at-bats, you have to be very heartless to ignore them forever. So yeah, it is, it's a struggle for sure. Okay, well, let's give the inventory. Let's set the table here in terms of what maybe some of those long-term investments are. I, I talked yesterday about content marketing. 
Can I throw another one out and then it's your turn, Kamala? What do you think? Absolutely. Okay. Brand identity. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Brand identity. That's a big one. And I will say we cause this problem. We meaning sales and marketing leaders, revenue leaders. We create this problem for ourselves because guess what? We're constantly advancing our brand identities. There is an embarrassment of riches when it comes to world-class agencies that can help B2B marketers, right? Especially in the SaaS industry. Used to be the domain of B2C. But guess what? It's And by the way, because there's so many agencies out there who are world-class, you can't really bump along anymore with a second or third tier brand identity because guess what? The company that just got started five days ago, because it's not that hard to stand up a startup. Amazon Web Services are cheap, people. Coders are cheap, folks. There's a bunch of coders out there going, no, I'm not. I make a lot of money. Not if you're in India, right? It's not that hard to stand up a product. And quite often, their brand identity is, is stronger and better. And so who cares? Guess what? Let's say your brand identity is horrible. That's fine. But at the end of the day, people buy in the United States. They make emotional buying decisions. And so long-term investment is an example is keeping up with the Joneses when it comes to brand identity. What about for you, Kamala, aside from content and aside from brand identity, good examples of long-term investments, are there others that come across your transom that you have to struggle with? Oh, a good one is building repeatability on the customer side. And what I mean by that is just collecting testimonials, case studies, referrals, oh, that's something that you have to build and really plays into that emotional decision-making you just brought up. Right. So if I don't have validation content, if I don't have people singing the praises of my platform, my brand, the color of my beard on Tuesday, it's really important that I fill that gap because guess what? You're not going to be performant. Another area I would put out there, Kimla, that really tends to be something that has a longer-term window, interestingly enough, I would throw event strategy in there these days. And what I mean by that is it's really twofold, right? The first piece is, of course, you get the cheerful chipmunks that show up in the booth that are excited to see your product and talk to you guys, because guess what? They've been stuck in their offices for three years, right? But I feel like a pivot that's happened, and if other folks are out there listening in who've had this experience, we're really at the beginning of a buyer's journey with trade shows, with events, more so than we ever have been. And so the short term is, I'm hoping to get enough pipeline to justify the investment I've made, but the long-term benefit of events, and I will say secondary benefits as well, are astounding, meaning you've got somebody who goes, I remember the brand, I saw that product, and I will say, I don't know if you had this experience as well, Kamala, but I end up seeing my website traffic go up, and I have no way of explaining it other than saying I've got ancillary benefit when it comes from trade show activity. In other words, people are like, I didn't have time to, to really take a look at the product, or I didn't get enough information during the demo, it was six minutes long, I'm going to go hit the website. So to me, that's a really good example of a short and long-term growth area that's recently started turning into long-term for me. Right. And I think I've always seen trade shows are a really great mechanism to socialize in-flight deals and existing customers with your executive team. And having the instrumentation in place to prove that it's an influential piece of that strategy is going to be critical especially right now when every executive team I know of is totally questioning the validity of investing in events right now for very small companies. It's just, it's tough out there. It really is. So make sure you have your measurement in place, for goodness sakes. 
You're bringing up a really good point, which is, and I will say that there is this spread, if you will, in SaaS, which is, you know, it, it's, gosh, it's Scott Brinker. I'm going to quote him again. Recently had uh, Don Otfos on from Lean Data, and we were talking about the RevTech stack and how it's evolving. And one thing we noted is that there's this explosion of applications is now up to 8,000, and that was two years ago. So I'm going to assume it's up to 10. Oh, it is. <laughs> it is. It's up to 10, right? So it, there's a spread of organizations across the B2B SaaS space. And, you know, size does matter when it comes to resourcing. And so when it comes to an event, I'll tell you a cheap event is 25 to 30K. And with a small organization that has a smaller budget, that's a huge decision. And if you misfire on that decision, consequences are more immediate. So for slightly larger organizations like ours, Campbell's got a great point. We have a little bit more freedom to kind of swing and miss as we go. Are there examples of areas where there's swing and a miss, and especially when you're balancing that short and long term, where it's really painful for an organization of caliber mind size, and it has more dire consequences than you would expect? Oh, well, yeah, you just hit on one of them, which is events. So one of the things we tried to test out whether or not we should do events with was having small in-person events. Oh, that is a swing and a miss right now. I think getting people in an area where they're collaborating over a topic that they all share in a venue that they enjoy <laughs> is really critical right now, especially if you're dealing with an introverted prospect base who has a better excuse than ever to stay introverted and not go to these things. So it that was a big one. Another one is content syndication. It's a big investment. I haven't seen it pay off for us and I'm really hesitant to do it. So that's another one where I I just don't know. I just don't, there's some things you can't afford not to do. I don't know that that's one of them right now. Content syndication sort of scary. Those CPAs can creep up really fast. And it's a wonderful way to help that top of funnel, but quite often it does not translate into what we needed to in the middle of the funnel. That's a toughie. Those are tough ones. I'd like to, to kind of wrap things up for us here, Kamala, and talk about maybe another one that's a bit of a bugaboo for folks. In other words, something that's very appealing, but at the end of the day, maybe something that you want to back away from. Then I would love to talk about one that everybody should embrace. So maybe I'll start with a positive one, if that's okay, which is the narrative. Right. So we talked about brand identity a little bit yesterday or a little bit earlier in our conversation. I sort of backed away from it because it is gobbledygook to a lot of revenue leaders to hear about brand identity. So I'm going to stay away from that. But guess what? The Generation X folks, we are, we are, the sunset is happening. We're, we're moving out of being the primary buyers. Millennials are moving in. They're informed. They're used to having lots of data. They are empowered and they're going to change the way that companies sell. I am convinced of this, the way that companies sell. And one of the main ways they like to be able to build and understand who they're going to partner with, if you will, is the narrative, is the brand story. That tends to be really important. And guess what? If people show up on your website and they don't know what you're doing and that person maybe is your mom or your dad, <laughs> you don't have your brand story right. So I would put that positive thing out there and just say that it's always worth the time and investment because the better the story, the crisper the story, the more likely everything else is going to work for you. And I've heard a great quote, and I, I can't remember who to credit to, but of course, but it was, people don't change their minds because of data. They change their mind because of stories. And that speaks to the emotional resonance. People need to make a decision and then they rationalize it. So I agree with you 100%. If you don't have your story dialed in, in the way that your prospects think about it and the words that they use, you're in a lot of trouble. So it's so smart to focus there. 
I think that's Joe Polizzi. I think that's the Content Marketing Institute quote. I feel like I've heard that one a few times. Yeah, and, and that's definitely what I'm referring to. I'm going to wrap things up on a bit of a negative here, Kamala. I'm going to I'm going to talk about this long term investment play that quite often ends up sucking down marketing leaders, and we sort of opened up with it, which is the chimera that is the, the rubric, the challenge that is digital marketing. And I think that what ends up happening is that so many marketing leaders, and especially those of us that grew up with digital, I grew up with digital, this is my backyard. And I think the thing that ends up happening for us is we end up siloing out digital. And we start thinking about what's happening at the top of my funnel? What am I doing with content, promote content and drive interest? Slice that off. And now I'm going to the middle of the funnel. What am I doing with social media? to try and entice folks to move through the funnel. And then, you know, slice that off. I'm going to go right for the bottom of the funnel. I'm going to do CPC, right? This is a challenge. So I have to say, and, and it's, again, slippery slope. This happens fairly easily. So I want to bounce this back off of you, Camilla, but I feel like this is an area where you cannot, there is no such thing as short-term digital growth. As much as we like to believe that, it's not true. And the way to kind of work around this, here's the insider tip, folks. What is your buyer's journey? And where do you meet them along the way to that buyer's journey? That's just not, that's not marketing CMO talk, folks. That's how we buy. And if you sign it up, you're digital to top and middle to bottom of funnel, it's not going to work. No, it's not. I can confirm that we're running an experiment right now that I'm going to pull the plug on. It's <laughs> showing us exactly that. We, we've had tremendous success at top of funnel, awareness driving, getting those correct people. Thank goodness for LinkedIn targeting. It's beautiful. But those folks, they're going to take some time to sell to, and our sales team is getting antsy. You're better off looking at each step in the buyer journey and then creating an email nurture that serves up those pieces that those people are interacting with, and you are throwing money at digital advertising trying to get demo requests. I Learn from me. Don't make my mistake. <laughs> well, that's the CMO Confidential. Well, Kamala, I have to say, we've, we've sort of come up with, I think, one of our next topics for next month. I got to say, it's the buyer's journey. I, I want to spend more time talking about how marketers should tackle the buyer's journey. The other thing I'd love to talk about is the rise of the buyer's toolkit. This is happening in front of our eyes. It, it is amazing to watch these trends happen. So I'll give you guys two teasers for our next conversation. The first is vendor.com. That's V-E-N-D-R.com. If you haven't heard of these guys before, they are procurement for buyers that can't afford procurement. So it's clever. They pre-negotiate. They have set prices based on vendors. Camilla and I are not going to sleep tonight now that we've reminded ourselves this exists. And by the way, we've already lived in this world. We've got the G2 crowds and the trust radiuses that are out there really exposing what we're good and we're not good at. What a great tool for those buyers. But there are other ones out there, folks. They are showing up and it's going to make marketers' lives much harder. So with that in mind, with that teaser in mind, Camilla, thanks for joining me again. And thank you for having me and giving me nightmares about additional friction in our buying process. <laughs> you are welcome. <laughs> Nailed it. You are welcome. Good job, Kamala. I have a stock in melatonin, by the way, so you should uh, you should definitely buy a lot more melatonin. That's going to help you. All right, that wraps up this episode of the Revenue Generator Podcast. Thanks to Kamala Thompson, VP of Marketing at Caliber Mind, for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Kamala, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can contact her directly on Twitter where her handle is Kamala Thompson or visit her company website at calibermind.com. Just one thing in our show notes I want to tell you about if you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to revgenpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, apply to be a speaker on the Revenue Generator podcast or share your revenue generation questions, which we'll answer live on our show. 
Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is at RevGenPod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is at MarketAdvocate. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a daily stream of RevGen strategies in your podcast feed, we'll publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. We'll be back in your feed in the next business day. Okay, that's all for today. But until next time, keep cranking because the revenue isn't going to generate itself. 